This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said, When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life, the only possible explanation for you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is CYKIAE. Okay, you have a Jewess work colleague that you particularly hate because she's against everything that you've been told to believe in and have done without question. Like going to a Thai restaurant and ordering their banquet meal so you don't have to think about this food that you don't know a lot about. Like that, all of your ideas have been given to you. You've elected not to be an individual. That makes you a perfect candidate for being a socialist if you aren't already one. So this bitch... And I have one in mind. Her name is Barry Weiss. She worked at the New York Times. She got monstered into leaving by her woke colleagues because of that Senator Tom Holland piece covered in parts 20 and 21 in particular. But she also covered a host of other people that the woke folk would rather were dead. This includes Ian Hersey who would be called an Islamophobe. Eventually, by doing exactly what she'd been employed to do, Barry Weiss had started an internal one-woman culture war at the New York Times. The longer she was working there, posting the sorts of opinion stories that she was employed to find, her colleagues were looking for ever viler insults that they could throw at her. She copped these. Ensandiary, a distributor of far-right materials, and absolutely, categorically, stupid But I think the Oscar for the best insult has to go to this one. Since six million Jews were exterminated by the Nazis during World War II for the crime of being Jewish, and undoubtedly some of her family were murdered by the Nazis, to call her a Nazi is pretty vile. I mean, you'd have to be one of those woke folk to do that because no one is as vicious and intolerant as they are. So what did she do to make her work colleagues wish that they had been able to buy tickets to watch her shoved into a gas chamber at Auschwitz? That's what this program is about as I wrap up the George Floyd part of this story. Then move on to the Hunter Biden laptop from hell. Barry Weiss has two rare qualities that are so important to be a really good human being and a great journalist. The first is courage. I talked a lot about that in part 19 of this series. 
In the face of the woke folk frenzy, there's not much of that to be seen around these days. The other quality is good timing. She just has this inbuilt instinct that has her turn up to all of the best fights before anyone else realises they're going to happen. And she gets there before anyone else does. And she knows which side is the right side. She doesn't worry about whether the side she took was politically correct or not. What matters is what is right. Her career really took off when she wrote a piece about comedian Aziz Ansari on 15 January 2018. It came about because of a piece published on the feminist website Babe about a woman's date with this successful Netflix comedian. The woman called Grace in the article to protect her identity, an amazing choice of name, such a key word with such a profound meaning in the Christian's vocabulary, Definitely not a signal that this woman was a Christian. Barry Weiss analysed the encounter that Grace described taking place and was totally unimpressed by Grace's behaviour. After getting naked together, the comedian seemed to think he was about to have sex. Why would he get that idea is hard to fathom. She came to think that he must be joking about having sex with him In non-verbal ways, she signalled her lack of enthusiasm about doing the deed. Barry Weiss describes Grace, apparently a model for the modern feminists who cheered her on in the Babe article, as behaving more like a woman from the 19th century, needing smelling salts and a fainting couch. Some texts were exchanged the next day between Aziz and Grace, when she communicated her disappointment that he had failed to pick up on her non-verbal signals. Barry Weiss's reply is what got her into Bill Maher's show, real time, and that made her a star. She said what Grace said to Aziz was, put in other words, I am angry that you weren't able to read my mind. How delicate the woke generation are today was commented on by Barry in her article when she said, The article in Babe was met with digital hosannas by young feminists who insisted that consent is consent only if it is affirmative, active, continuous, and, and this is the word most used, enthusiastic. Consent isn't the only thing they are radically redefining. A recent survey by the economist YouGov found that approximately 25% of millennial-age American men think asking someone for a drink is harassment. More than a third of millennial men and women say that if a man compliments a woman's looks, it is harassment. Barry Weiss was interviewed about her article the next day, 16 January 2018, on MSNBC. Here's a snippet from that interview that I think it covers off on the main points. I just think it's telling that the piece went up last night at 7, and I think it was number 1 by 9 or 10 last night. Wow. And I don't think the reason for that is that I wrote such a brilliant piece, frankly. I think the reason for that is that people are thirsty for for anything that yeah. sort of cuts against the orthodoxy being around this subject. The number of emails that I've gotten from people, and I'm not talking about 
everyday people without platforms, very prominent people that have a public platform that are saying to me, I think what you wrote is brilliant. I think what you wrote is common sense, but I'm too scared to share it on social media because I'm too scared I'm going to be torn apart and being, uh, be accused of being a victim shamer or an apologist for rape culture. The I will be honest. I, um, did, I, I have to check if I ended up retweeting it, but I thought twice. Um, I thought it was a really great piece and I was too scared to share it. So Barry Weiss had a nose for a story that was going to be huge, and she had zero tolerance for woke stupidity. From 29 May 2020, along comes George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, Antifa, riots and looting masquerading as peaceful protests, and Republican Senator Tom Holland's view that the army needed to be called in by President Trump invoking the Insurrection Act to end the rooting and looting. An opinion piece from Senator Cotton would be a really good piece of journalism. Driven by Barry Weiss, the opinion piece appeared in the New York Times of 3 June 2020. That was the last straw for the staff at the New York Times. In an upside-down version of what reality should be, Barry Weiss observed just how wrong the culture at the New York Times had become. Now, Barry Weiss has the right stuff for a woman that the feminists, you would think would hero-worship. But if you think that, you don't understand socialism. Feminism is about Marxism. It's not about women. Socialism is never about individuals, because socialism hates individuals. The individual only exists to advance the collective cause. As Stalin called his people, who he slaughtered in numbers beyond reckoning, they are just nuts and bolts. Christians, every life is precious. For socialists, no lives are precious. Weiss gave the woke staff at the New York Times two fantastically good reasons to hate her. She effectively argued or put forward conservative opinions and her outstanding success in her job. Those made her a figure of open hatred for the paper's young progressive woke staff. Soon they said they were openly calling for me to be fired. Often, when she was mentioned on the company's internal messaging system, Slack, Axe emojis appeared next to her name. It got to the point where she said she couldn't do her job anymore. She felt supported by the managers, but believes they had lost control of the culture. A smallish group of ideologues had taken control. I saw very junior people calling out very senior people who were abjectly apologising. It was a very strange thing to watch. To have and keep such courage and endure the never-ending hate and attacks from the left, especially through Twitter, exact a toll. Barry said that Twitter promoted itself as being like a debate or a town square, but she said it's not and never has been. She more accurately described it. She said that Twitter was a school playground. Many of the hatreds that Weiss suffered were the sorts of playground hatreds, especially girls get at school, Envy, confusion, misogyny, tribalism, topped off by the hatred of the brainy kids. The Twitter reaction to her pieces could be so hostile that she said, They flattened me, and some days I could barely get out of bed. Undoubtedly, the attacks on the New York Times Slack app contributed to this. Barry Weiss perceptively said, It's not just the story of the New York Times. It's the story of how all these institutions the mass media, began to turn away from their original mission and transform into something different. So Barry Weiss decided that it was time to resign 
from the New York Times on 14th July 2020. And she wrote a stinger of a resignation letter that was widely covered on the internet. Here's what she had to say. Barry Weiss's resignation letter sent to A.G. Salzberger, the publisher of the newspaper, nailed what the problems were with the New York Times, that it had every good intention to fix, but had failed to do during the time she was employed. She wrote, I joined the people with gratitude and optimism three years ago. I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives, and others who would not naturally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp of the country it covers. Dean Baquet and others have admitted as much on various occasions. The priority in opinion was to help redress that critical shortcoming. She went on, But the lessons that ought to have followed the election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society, have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper. The truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. As the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences, rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. My own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. Her employer, the New York Times, should not have tolerated such an incredibly intolerant, harassing workplace environment in which Barry Weiss had to try to work. She went on, Other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter, with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. She rightly complained of the failures of management when she said, I do not understand how you have allowed this kind of behavior to go on inside your company in full view of the paper's entire staff and the public. And I certainly can't square how you and other Times leaders have stood by while simultaneously praising me in private for my courage. Showing up for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. Part of me wishes I could say that my experience was unique, but the truth is that intellectual curiosity, let alone risk-taking, is now a liability at the times. Why edit something challenging to our readers or write something bold only to go through the numbing process of making it ideologically kosher when we can assure ourselves of job security and clicks 
by publishing our 4,000th op-ed arguing that Donald Trump is a unique danger to the country and the world. And so self-censorship has become the norm. The Times had ceased to report on stories reflecting the views and opinions of the majority of Americans. She said whether a story would appear depended on the journalist's politics. If a person's ideology is in keeping with the new orthodoxy, they and their work remains unscrutinized. Everyone else lives in fear of the digital thunderdome. She said about the cotton story, it took the paper two days and two jobs to say that the Tom Cotton op-ed fell short of our standards. She expressed how removed from reality the staffers at the Times were when she said, the paper of record is, more and more, the record of those living in a distant galaxy, one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of most people. Were these opinions of the woke folk reflective of the majority of people who work at the Times? Barry Weiss said, Even now I am confident that most people at the Times do not hold these views. Yet they are cowed by those who do. Why? Perhaps because they believe that they will be granted protection if they nod along. Although too young herself to have lived through it, Barry Weiss obviously well-educated, meaning able to research, analyse and think something through to reach an informed opinion of her own, which is more than you can say for the woke folk, said, or perhaps it is because they know that nowadays standing up for principle at the paper does not win plaudits. It puts a target on your back. Too wise to post on Slack... They write to me privately about the new McCarthyism that has taken root at the paper of record. All this bodes ill, especially for independent-minded young writers and editors, paying close attention to what they'll have to do to advance in their careers. Rule 1. Speak your mind at your own peril. Rule 2. Never risk commissioning a story that goes against the narrative. Rule 3. Never believe an editor or publisher who urges you to go against the grain. Eventually the publisher will cave to the mob, the editor will get fired or reassigned, and you'll be hung out to dry. She reminded Mr. Salzberger, the publisher of the Times, of what he told her when she started with the paper. An independent press is not a liberal ideal or a progressive ideal or a democratic ideal. It's an American ideal. You said a few years ago, I couldn't agree more. America is a great country that deserves a great newspaper. She finished up saying to the publisher of the Times something that a former publisher of the Times had said, but I can no longer do the work that you brought me here to do, the work that Adolf Ox described in that famous 1896 statement to make of the columns of the New York Times a forum for the consideration of all questions of public importance, and to that end, to invite intelligent discussion from all shades of opinion. So you might be thinking that this was Barry Weiss's last hurrah, that the woke folk had driven her down. What do you think? Well, that was not quite the end of Barry Weiss. She started her own news organisation called Free Press. Today it has 325,000 subscribers who pay $8 a month for their subscription. 
In December 2022, she was engaged by Elon Musk to look at the issue of progressive bias under the previous management at Twitter. She produced the Twitter files, which caused more uproar amongst the woke folk. There were two pieces of deeply disturbing news to emerge from her investigation. The first was that Twitter, under its old management, was not the open, politically neutral platform it pretended to be. She showed that Twitter had secret blacklists and related methods specifically designed to limit the reach of conservative commentators. Twitter's old management had denied that bias repeatedly. Second, we're learning that Twitter worked closely with like-minded government bureaucrats to suppress legitimate news, information and discussion to protect certain Democrat candidates and the weird woke view of the world. What about Facebook, Google and other media giants? Did they have similar ties to Washington? It would be naive to think that they didn't. The FBI was able to tell Twitter what to do with stories that came their way like the Hunter Biden laptop. The FBI didn't say, don't publish the stories. They were way more subtle than that. It didn't even necessarily say what the stories they were hinting at were when they warned about something that was coming down the pipeline. But it was easy to join the dots when that story broke. One of the stories that broke just a few weeks before the 2020 presidential elections and that would have seen Donald Trump re-elected president in all likelihood, was the story of Hunter Biden's laptop. The son of the president had taken his laptop in for repairs and never came back to pick it up. It had explosive information on it. It appeared to suggest, among other things, that Joe Biden was peddling his high political influence for financial rewards from the top people in the Chinese Communist Party. Australia's outstanding investigative journalist, Miranda Devine, broke the story just before the election. And if you haven't been listening to my earlier programs in this series, you won't believe what happened. <clears throat> and just one final example of the success that Barry Weiss has enjoyed since leaving the New York Times. It's the podcast series, new podcast series that she's created for J.K. Rowling, another person of courage standing up to the woke folk. The highly publicised series is called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. The program's hosted by the controversial Megan Phelps Roper about the Harry Potter's author's involvement in the transgender debate. I believe that Barry Weiss will be a powerhouse to the truth in a world where so many people are frightened now to speak. So my next program in the series is The Laptop from Hell. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Cairns FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Cairns and District Junior Estedford Hall, 67 Greenslopes Street, Edge Hill, some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket DZ, close brackets.